Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, our bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to episode 10 on the history of cannabis, the big green lie. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, we're talking about weed, pot, Mary Jane, ganja, cannabis, Reggie Bush, outdo, whatever name you choose to call it. If you're a new listener, welcome. You're now listening to one of the funnest, dopest history podcasts out there that talk about not only things in the past, but the things happening this very second. Now, As someone who's started smoking weed in high school, sorry mom, I know you're listening, I'm just very excited for today's subject because cannabis definitely, definitely, definitely wasn't in our textbooks and I feel like it's been kind of criminalized and kind of feared and I'm just excited to talk about not only the experience of getting high from cannabis, but the medical benefits and properties of the plant. I mean, y'all can correct me if you're wrong. If you had cannabis in your textbook, let me know, but I sure didn't. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Tammy, who is a dope black historian, educator, and advocate for cannabis. Before we jump into today's topic, I have some quick black church-like announcements. (laughs) The first one is that this in no way is an episode that's encouraging you to go and try cannabis, whether you're interested in smoking it, eating it, or, you know, trying CBD, which is more of the medical properties. It's just more of an educational episode where we talk about, you know, the medical properties and we talk about some of the politics around the criminalization of cannabis that resulted in black people being disproportionately locked up, right? Because it was positioned as addictive and all these other things that science has proved is not true. The second announcement is that this episode is paired with a dope giveaway. I will be giving away not only one, but two stash bags. They're these leather bags. One is brown, one is black, that has a five-layer technology that coats the smell of weed. It is a gender-neutral product. It's a black-owned product, and you can put your weed stash in it, or you can put, you know, a lighter. It can fit pretty much like travel size stuff. It's really, really cool. And it's gender neutral. So you can put in your merch, you can put in your purse, you can put in your bag, you can put in your fanny pack. If you're interested in entering this giveaway, just follow us on IG, Instagram, and leave a comment below in the photo that tells us one thing that you learned from this episode. It's pretty simple. And a winner will be selected at random. You're already listening to the episode, so you're already done half of the work for the giveaway. (laughs) Congrats. 
then the last little announcement, it's kind of a big announcement actually, um, that I have is that, that we will be kicking off the Well Red Black Girl virtual festival this year. So our next episode on November 6th will be talking about Well Red Black Girl and particularly looking at you know, the black woman's battle to the ballot box because it'll be coming off the cusp of election day. I'll tell you more details about that towards the end of the episode, but just something for you to look forward to. Another reason why you should subscribe right now, if you haven't, because there are dope things going on here. All right, we got the announcements out the way. The two things that inspired this episode was one, the green rush, which is just some buzzword term used to describe the fast ass growing illegalization of cannabis that's happening across the United States as well as Canada ever since places like California legalized the medical use of cannabis, entrepreneurs, people, the government is trying to figure out how to make money from this cannabis game. And so you know, this whole new industry that's popping up really inspired today's episode. The second thing that inspired today's episode is just the hundreds of thousands of black folks that have been locked up for nonviolent cannabis charges. Every 420, which is basically National Weed Day at this point, I go on the gram, I go on Twitter, I see people posting their weed leaves, their happy 420, you know, people indulge their little puff puff pass, and I can't help but think about the people that have lost years of their lives behind bars because at one point cannabis was criminalized and considered illegal and falsely labeled as addictive and dangerous. And I always just feel a little guilty about that, especially now that cannabis is legal and science has shown us that while cannabis can get you high, right, it also is a medicine that does phenomenal things like relieves chronic pain, regulates seizures, helps with depression, treats glaucoma, alleviates anxiety, helps with PTSD, slows down the development of Alzheimer's, and so much more. That's just a few of the things that cannabis actually does. So this episode is dedicated to all those people who have been locked up and criminalized And, you know, now we're out here in the streets, picking it up in stores and rolling up, walking down the block. In today's episode, we are joined by Tammy Pettigrew, also known as Cannabis Cutie. She's a California gal, really a woman, but I thought gal was clever. She's a cannabis advocate, educator, and public speaker that focuses on cannabis science, business, history, and debunking countless lion-ass myths surrounding cannabis. Since she debunks myths on weed and I debunk myths on history, this episode is a perfect marriage of both our knowledge combined to give you some mind-blowing gems on cannabis. She has really dope videos on YouTube around educating you on cannabis. She has a Cannabis 101 course, and she recently just launched a cannabis book club. Oh, by the way, I will be saying cannabis a lot throughout this episode. Tammy and I talk about things like the current legalization of cannabis in the U.S. We debate about what should happen to all the non-violent, predominantly black cannabis sellers who have been locked up 
now and in the past. She helps us learn the difference between THC and CBD. She also provides some tips for those who are interested in entering the cannabis industry, whether that be as an educator, influencer, whatever. She also gives us her insight on how black folks can make sure they have a seat in this new green table. And we get a little controversial and talk about mommying and consuming cannabis. And there's more. I know I gave you a lot, but we talk a lot more. Before we jump into some presents and a little bit of past on the history of cannabis with Tammy, as usual, we'll kick off the episode with just me and some important historical facts about cannabis that definitely wasn't in our textbook. As always, we start with the definition. What is cannabis? Cannabis refers to a tall Asian herb, a group of three plants that have psychoactive properties, meaning it affects your brain, has a chemical reaction to your brain. And the three plants include cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and cannabis rutilis, which is hemp, which is a fiber. When the flowers of these plants are harvested and dried, you're left with what a lot of people smoke, one of the most common drugs of the world. You can derive two chemical properties from the plants. One is CBD, which has more of the medical benefits shown to help with things like anxiety, depression, and seizures. And then you have THC, which connects to your brain and gives you that high euphoric, mellow, creative, and in some cases, sleepy feeling. And THC can be smoke, drink, eaten, whatever. Some people call it pot. Some people call it cannabis. Some people call it weed. Mostly because it grows wildly and frequently in the right environment. Today, we will not be using the M word to discuss this plant because it's actually a racially charged word created to promote xenophobia against Mexicans. In the interview with Tammy, she tells us a little bit more about this word, gives us a little bit more history on it. So stay tuned and listen to that. Now, cannabis is a huge topic. So I just picked out some important things that you should know. Now, while the legalization of the plant is relatively new, you know, the 90s, early 2000s, the plant has been around for thousands of years, actually, since ancient time. The first record of this plant dates back to 2700 BC, aka a long as time ago, and it was found in a Chinese medical manual. The guy known as the father of Chinese medicine, he was an emperor, had a text that prescribed cannabis to heal things like fatigue and malaria. Around this same time, other Chinese physicians used the seed of cannabis mainly for vegetable oils and proteins. Central Asia and Southeast Asia are considered the regions that first started cultivating this plant. Before the medical properties were known, the plant was used for the fibers it created, you know, creating baskets, fishing nets, stuff like that. Now, how did people realize it could be dried and smoked? 
Great question. It's not very clear, but people think it was probably discovered accidentally. You know, somebody was on the cannabis farm and they accidentally started a fire that set some cannabis plants ablaze and they were standing there and then they were inhaling it and then they realized they were feeling a little floaty, a little euphoric and boom, they realized you could also smoke the plant. Its early spread went from China to Korea to India and then to Eastern Africa. The truth is that cannabis has been controversial for almost as long as humans have been farming it. And they've been farming it for a minute. Many societies throughout history have banned cannabis farming and use. What many of these crackdowns and what people call prohibitions have in common is money, power, control, and distrust of the unknown. When members of a minority or lower class embrace anything unknown or foreign, such as cannabis in this case, the ruling class, you know, the people in power, move to outlaw it as a form of suppression and control. Sounds familiar? It should, because it's repeated in history over and over again. Think about the prohibition of alcohol. When it comes to religion, cannabis can be a little touchy. Some ancient Chinese religions rejected cannabis and considered it an intoxicant. Some Muslim societies embraced it and said that it was a bush of understanding or believed that there was a spiritual enlightenment that could be reached when you smoked cannabis. But traditional Muslims believe that Muhammad banded cannabis and it could be found in the Quran. Now, how did cannabis come to America? In the mid 1500s, the Spanish brought cannabis to the New World, aka America, what we call America today. They grew the crop for hemp, not for smoking. Hemp had strong fibers that could be used to make clothes, bags, and stuff for ships and boats because that's how people were traveling right to get to other places and colonize in britain as well as scandinavia cannabis was an important crop because hemp ropes were able to sustain the wet salty water during the same time period africans who were kidnapped and enslaved and taken to brazil brought cannabis with them some believe that they tucked it in, they tucked the seeds into their clothes and stuff like that. And they farmed it once they were kidnapped and forced to go to Brazil and they grew it as a crop. As time went on, hemp was replaced by cotton, which was a major cash crop in southern United States, you know, enslaving black people to pick cotton from sunrise to sunset. And still during this time, America hemp plants were not grown or really known for their intoxicating properties. Yet, that is. Plus, the shit really wasn't going to get anyone high because it had super low levels of THC. But then we fast forward about 100 years and things start to change. People realize that you could get high from cannabis. And that started to emerge in America, especially in 1910, when many people fled Mexico during the country's revolution 
arriving in America and bringing cannabis with them. With the rise of Mexicans in America, it caused the rise of xenophobia because like now people fear that Mexicans were going to steal their jobs and increase crime and all this other bullshit. But that's another podcast for another day. So once Mexicans started to flee their country looking for re- looking for refuge and bringing cannabis with them, what do you think happened? All of a sudden, the people in power are like, nah, let's start banning the use of drugs, all drugs, opium, cocaine, cannabis, let's put them all together. First, we were hit with the Opium Convention in 1912. Yep, cannabis was looped in with opium, which we all know is definitely not the same thing. And then there was the Harrison Act of 1914 that started to criminalize drugs and criminalize moving drugs around, aka trafficking. Now, prior to all these drug branding laws and acts, fewer restrictions were placed on drug trade and use. People were not getting locked up. In fact, opium and cocaine was getting flued out freely into the United States. Drug abuse was considered more of a public health problem, not a crime. And you could actually find cocaine and opium in medical drugs. I mean, they were using opium to relieve pain, especially during World War I. And if you took a sip of Coca-Cola or wine before 1910, it probably had some cocaine in it. Yep, it was used as an ingredient in wine and Coca-Cola. You heard me. In the 1920s, right? What's happening in the 1920s? Think Harlem Renaissance. Think jazz. Think Cotton Club. I did a whole episode on the Harlem Renaissance, which you probably already listened to, right? So when the 1920 rolls around and jazz is popping off, we start to see that cannabis also starts to catch on. Jazz musicians, people in the show business, we're smoking and getting creative and making music. It even inspired a genre of music called reefer songs that talked about smoking cannabis and other drugs like cocaine. There was a song called Wacky Dust. You guys should look it up. During this time, there was also cannabis clubs, which were officially called tea pads that sprang up in every major city in the U.S. And it was a place to go smoke kick back and chill with the homies and it was legal black music icons like Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald who had some pretty cookie cutter images were later arrested for smoking marijuana and recorded several tunes that alluded to drug use but once Mexicans started bringing cannabis and black folks started smoking it and enjoying it and making songs up about it It was a wrap. You know, the man did not like that. So in 1925, cannabis was banned and restricted in 13 countries, including the United States. But for some strange reason, the law didn't really go into effect until 13 years later in 1930. Weird. I know. From there, you know, shit really hit the fan and they really started to lock down and criminalize the use of cannabis. There was a campaign conducted in the 1930s by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Narcotics that sought to portray cannabis as a powerful, addictive substance that would cause users to become violent. That's a little OD for cannabis. 
but we know how the government is. In the 1960s, we saw the era of the hippies and kind of like the rise of cannabis in the love not war phase, right, with college students. But then 10 years after the hippie era, there was a Controlled Substance Act of 1970 that classified cannabis along with heroin and LESD as a Schedule One drug, which means that it has a high abuse potential and it cannot be accepted for medical use. This is when we start seeing policies and there's like a zero tolerance climate by the Reagan and Bush administration that declared a war on drugs and resulted in the passage of super strict laws and mandatory sentencing for possession of cannabis, which really just got a lot of black folks locked up. And it was during this time that you start to see heightened smuggling of high potency marijuana from places like Colombia. The U.S. war on drugs caused a lot of a lot of long-term damage that affected black people disproportionately. And during this time, we also see the emergence of programs like D.A.R.E. I don't know if you're too old to remember it or too young. I remember it. But we had programs like D.A.R.E., which was the drug abuse resistance education that had T-shirts and school programs and commercials like This Is Your Brain on Drugs, which is a tad bit dramatic for cannabis. Once Reagan was out of office... And the war on drugs, a.k.a. the war on black people, which, again, introduced new federal mandatory minimum sentencing for even small carrying. Once that came to an end, we started to see this shift. And so in 2008, states passed medical marijuana laws. Then once people got to see that cannabis was not harmful at all, and was actually helpful, states started to allow for recreational use of cannabis. (laughs) Since 2010, 16 states have passed medical cannabis laws, and nine states, including D.C., have legalized recreational use. States also started to decriminalize cannabis, getting rid of harsh sentencing, and switching out prison time for fines or short jail time. Today, we see more and more states are approving the medical and recreational use of what I call a plant, not a drug. From looking at the history of weed, we see how control, fear of the unknown, power, and in some cases, religion affected how cannabis was viewed for years and years and years. The whole addiction and fear of cannabis is, in fact, one big green lie. Today, we understand that prohibition of cannabis and the war on drugs was completely BS to criminalize black people and other people of color like Mexican folks as well. We also understand that cannabis is a plant that has healing properties that science continue to uncover. And the healing properties relieve things from pain to stopping seizures and so much more. Now that we've gotten the history of cannabis out of the way, let's jump into the interview with our special guest, Tammy, also known as Cannabis Cutie who is an advocate, educator, and public speaker. She's going to school us on a couple of things and debunk countless myths surrounding cannabis. So let's get into the interview. 
So Tammy, I'm so excited to have you on That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast because you fit everything that we talk about because you're also a historian, you're an advocate for cannabis and you know, you're a dope woman. So I'm excited to just kind of get your insight on the industry. I think it's one of my like popular topics that everyone is like, oh, I can't wait for you to talk about it because, you know, cannabis definitely wasn't in our textbook at all. So I'm going to start out with just letting you introduce yourself. I know some things about yourself. I know you went to school in Miami. I went to graduate school in Miami for a little bit. Um, And I know you have like a really cool background. So yeah, let us know who you are and you know what you do and how you all got started. So my name is Tammy Pettigrew, aka the Cannabis Cutie. And I have been a cannabis user since my freshman year in college. That's where I um, basically everything that had been indoctrinated into my brain kind of flipped. Um, And I went to Oklahoma State for undergrad where I was introduced to cannabis and I was in school for sports. I did the sports thing for a little bit um, and used cannabis the entire way through. Um, And when I went to grad school at the University of Miami, that's when I knew for certain that the cannabis industry was going to be my home. Um, And every project that I did was over cannabis and my cohort had learned a lot and was really tired of me (laughs) by the end of grad school. Uh, But now in the industry, I am a entrepreneur and as well, and a cannabis educator as well. Um, My goal is to help people who have businesses or want to be in this industry understand this plant all around and to help create advocates as well, because um, finding the information can be difficult and it's really complex information as well. Yeah. And it's a really new industry, like relatively new in terms of like it becoming legal. And yeah, I I try to learn and it's like kind of hard. So I think that's really you provide a resource for people as well. Um, I always start with our signature question is like, how do you define cannabis or weed or whatever you call it? (laughs) Um, So for me, I prefer to call it cannabis, which is its Latin scientific name that it was given in the 1700s. Um, There is one word that I prefer not to use, and that is marijuana, the M word. Um, If there is a racist word in the cannabis lexicon, it, it would be that one. Um, and that's because when in after the Mexican Revolution, you had a lot of refugees coming from south of the border. Um, and in order to demonize this plant, um, they gave it an exotic name. Xenophobia against Mexicans was at a really an all time high. Um, so they started calling it marijuana to give it that exotic um, Spanish sounding name to scare um, Americans into uh, what would be modern day prohibition for cannabis. Wow, I did not know that. I did not yes. know that at all. Thank you. We already got a history lesson too. <laughs> I love it. So did you learn, I mean, I think this is the obvious question, but like, did you learn at about cannabis in, in, your, in any textbook, you know, even grad school or anything like that? Like, are there any kind of books around cannabis? not in any of my education. There was nothing mentioned about cannabis history, um, nothing about its medical benefits. Um, The only cannabis information I received was from the DARE officer that would come and talk to us about (laughs) cannabis. So that's the only education I received. If it could be a part of a textbook, like what topics do do you think is important to include? 
The endocannabinoid system, I think it's important for people to understand that inside of our bodies, we all have these receptors and these receptors are basically locks and locks in order to unlock it, you need a key. And there are only a few set of keys that fit in these locks. And the key that fits in there are chemicals made in our body or they're cannabinoids made from the cannabis plant. So I think if we need to learn about anything, it's about how this system and this plant um, work hand in hand and they're a perfect match for one another and that either we were biologically made with this plant in mind or vice versa. But to absolutely learn that our evolution happened with this plant, I think is the most important information we need. Wow. I've, I love the way you were able to break that down, like you have lots of keys and stuff like that. That's like a really dope understanding. So I know you also have, you know, speaking about education, like you have a, a cannabis one of course. And yes, I, I, need to, I need to take that probably. So, but for, for listeners who are not familiar with like cannabis, what, I guess, give us a summary of like, Cannabis one-on-one, you know, like what's it about? Um, so you should definitely know again about the endocannabinoid system and understand that the reason why those cannabis keys fit in our locks is because our body produces its own version of cannabis. Um, the runner's high, for example, people assume that it is just a dumping of endorphins in your body and endorphins actually are too big of a molecule to cross that blood brain barrier. That's the whole point of the blood brain barrier. What you're actually getting is an increase in what's called anandamide or the bliss molecule. And it's shaped very similar to THC. So that runner's high feels like a cannabis high because chemically and molecularly, they're very similar. So that's a one-on-one that's important. Yeah, that's very important. Also, yeah. I thought I was like, you know, on a natural high. Yeah. Um, and I think another one-on-one that's important is that CBD is really good for depression because it's affecting, um, so basically pharmaceuticals make what are called SSRIs and they're targeting serotonin and it's to typically increase it, but CBD is going to be, it's going to enter your body and it's going to know, okay, we need to increase or we have too much. We're going to kind of stop. Um, so CBD is a really good candidate for depression over THC, um, but they're both equally medicinal and good. And I think THC gets a bad rap because it causes intoxication, yeah. um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially when your body produces that chemical already. So there are health benefits to both and neither should be demonized. Yeah, so That's important. And I would say... Another big fact is um, I see a lot of posts on social media where people are saying hemp is not marijuana um, mm -hmm. or cannabis, and that's categorically false. Um, a hemp plant is just a cannabis plant that is not allowed to produce THC. That, that's the only difference. And that's why a drug dog cannot tell the difference between hemp and cannabis because cannabinoids don't have a scent. <laughs> wow. And I just saw you're really dope video definitely check out your like video series that you have on youtube where you go in you talk about hemp and like the different you know why weed was not legal and stuff like that so you have really good like snippets that really kind of like answer and address some of these things so i would tell people to definitely check that out and you already i thought it was interesting that you mentioned like cbd and thc because i think a lot of people don't understand in the difference like I know that THC is you know helps you get that kind of high that is associated with cannabis traditionally um yeah. can you talk about the difference because I think even nowadays 
a lot of products coming out that have CBD in it, like the beauty products. I just bought like a, like a muscle relaxer for like my knee because I run and so it just helps me kind of when it like aches. So can you talk about the difference? I think people don't really understand kind of the benefits of some of these products that are coming out and how that could kind of help them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, CBD is really powerful anti-inflammatory. So topical rubs are great for aches and pains and soreness. Um, I definitely use them for myself and my children. Um, CBD is going to give so many benefits, um, but it's going to affect everybody differently. So for some people, CBD may help with sleep. um, Mm -hmm. And for other people, it's going to give them energy. So it's all about trial and error um, in your own genetics and your own endocannabinoid system. Um, CBD is actually psychoactive. Um, I think what a lot of people get confused is the word intoxication and psychoactivity. Mm-hmm. So anything that's psychoactive is going to change your state of being. So CBD is a mood enhancer. So it is psychoactive because it's changing things that are going on in your brain. So really good for depression, anxiety, inflammation, um, some, for some people it's good for sleep for some, it's good for energy. Um, and CBD works best when coupled with THC, even if it's just one milligram, um, you can think of CBD like a really fast car, but in the fast and the furious, they always press this button that turns it up and that's what the THC is going to do. Okay. And do they both come, they both come from the plant, right? It's just like two different chemicals from the plant. Yeah. So when the plant starts producing cannabinoids, it always starts with one CBGA. Everything else is going to be made from that one cannabinoid. So CBGA is like the godmother of all cannabinoids. Without her, nothing else gets produced. So CBGA can turn into THCA, CBDA, CBG, uh, CBCA. So a hemp plant has CBG, but it's just not allowed to turn into any THC. It's just been bred to not do that. Um, so that again, kind of helps you understand why hemp and cannabis are the same. One just is not by any means allowed to do what the other one can full expression. Cool. That's great. Can you define, is it cannabinoid? Is that the word? Cannabinoid? Cannabinoid. Yeah. How yeah. So a cannabinoid is a chemical that is produced from the cannabis plant. Got it. it there's, I mean, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds. We are just scratching the surface on research. That's great. That's great. So talking about like CBD and THC, I've had like some people in my DMs ask me questions. I told them, I was like, I'm talking to this dope, beautiful smart, um, you know, cannabis advocate and historian. So they have some questions for you. So I weave them throughout here, but this is one of them because we were just talking about kind of like the science. Um, are there different strands that you that you can use for like your menstrual cycle and stuff like that? Um, so when it comes to strains, I don't really like to give strains as example because somebody can be growing blue dream on the Western part of the US and on the Eastern part of the US, and you will have two different chemical structures. You could be growing two plants side by side and have two different chemical structures. So typically what I like to say is it's trial and error in journaling, but for a fun fact, um, the CB1 receptor is gonna be the receptor that's most interactive with THC. Mm. And those receptor sites are all throughout the body, but in a woman's body, they are most abundant in the uterus. Mm. 
So there are suppositories that companies make that you can use for menstrual issues, for female issues. Um, and just cannabis use overall during that time of the month seems to help a lot of women who have PMDD, um, PCOS, um, all type fibroids. Um, so I definitely believe that cannabis is a huge, it's works much better than pampering and might all for, (laughs) for, you know, if that's worth anything, but yeah, um, I would say that trying a suppository, um, instead of just a specific strain might be a better direction. Okay, great. Thank you for answering that. Like listener question. So I wanted to go into like the history because you do a lot of history stuff as well, which I really love. And that's how I kind of like found you online from like looking up different stuff. So historically, like, you know, um, cannabis has a lot of negative connotations, especially for black people, people of color, and then also for women, you know, there's like, oh, women shouldn't smoke, blah, 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 all that BS. Um, What has your experience been as someone at that intersection of being like a woman of color and being a woman, being a person of color and being a woman, like what has your experience been like in this fairly new industry? Um, You know, so far my experience has been a good one, but I think it's also um, carrying myself as more than just your typical pothead stoner, Um, leading with facts, holding myself um, as a professional um, at all times. So for the most part, I feel my experience has been good. Um, It's a female plant. It was a majority dominated female industry up until um, a lot of the um, a lot of the money and the people that are coming in, unfortunately, look like all the other industries. Um, But so far, I feel I've had a good experience and the community is definitely um, been welcoming. Oh, that's great. That's good to know. I know it's like good news. I just wanted to know. I have no idea what it's like. And then I know that you focus on like an education component. And I feel like up until like what, 1996 was when California, you kind of legalized it medically, legalized cannabis medically. And then now it's slowly trending and spreading across different states for not only medical, but recreation use. Mm -hmm. And then you also have, you know, Nixon's war on drugs. Like there's a lot of things that have kind of led to where we are today. And we're both in California where it's like fully legal. But um, why do you think that cannabis has taken this journey? Like, why do you think it's becoming legal now? And what are some of the politics you think that are involved in that? Um, you know, I think when you have so many people with different ailments proving and showing that they're living, mm-hmm. um, that no matter how far indoctrinated we are, it starts to wake people up to, hey, you know, if this is so evil, then why is this helping someone? Like, for example, um, there's a girl by the name of Alexis Bortel who, um, in order for her to live, they were going to have to take out a piece of her brain to stop her seizing. Mm-hmm. And she started cannabis. Um, it just CBD only didn't have a seizure for about 30 days, added THC to that CBD. And she's, I think on her fourth year seizure free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you see extreme cases like that, that things we can't solve medically is being solved by this plant, like fibromyalgia, um, issues with autism, um, all these things, Crohn's disease that we have not a clue about, but this plant is getting it done and it's just a plant um, and people understanding that you literally take a seed, you plant it, you water it, let the sun do its thing and that's it. Um, How can that be evil? 
Um, So I think, you know, with loved ones being on their deathbed and not being able to eat because chemotherapy is killing them and then they take cannabis and now they're eating and they're gaining weight and they're able to fight or their loved ones who suffer from AIDS and able to extend their life and stopping their children's seizures. That is where I think the awakening has occurred, seeing that it's improving the quality of life and it's not killing anybody. And then we have this, you know, pharmaceutical issue where opioids are legal and they're acceptable, but they're killing millions of America, Americans. So I think that also helped play into it is the opioid crisis. Yeah, I totally, I can, I totally see that. And I did, I have been dabbling in some documentaries and stuff like that. And just kind of like the health benefits of, you know, the plant itself and the different things that has done for people have been amazing. And I don't know, I feel like it also kind of makes me think about all the people who've been locked up for selling it, you know, before this, I guess, discovery of it being something that is actually a medicine. And I guess I wanted to get your opinion on that. Like, what do you think about, because it's like kind of like prohibition, which you mentioned earlier with with the way that cannabis has been handled and now it's legal similar to how alcohol was although alcohol has no medical benefits no <laughs> poison <laughs> yeah, it's straight poison um but what do you do you have any thoughts because i feel like you know we have like 420 and everyone gets so excited about it you know as a holiday and we smoke but i can't help to think about the people who have been locked up for selling it, you know, years ago and like, or who may still be in prison for those type of sentencing. And yeah. do you have any thoughts or opinions on that or like what the government should do for those people or anything? Yeah, I think um, if we're going to talk reparations, mm-hmm. this is the form we need to be giving these licenses, these retail licenses. Um, first opportunity needs to go there because if we're going to lock them up and put them in jail for paying their bills with weed money, but the government is now paying their bills with weed money, mm-hmm. that's a huge contradiction. Um, and what I've learned because I'm reading um, the new Jim Crow right now, which is a really deep dive on the war on drugs. What I've learned is that the war on drugs, what it did was create an entire new caste in the U.S. So it's not even the fact that people are sitting in jail. It's now millions of people have this thing on their record where now we can legally discriminate against them however we want to on the basis of education, housing, jobs, loans, voting. That's the whole point of the war on drugs. It's not even the fact that you had to sit in jail for it. It's now there's a label and the same amount of people that couldn't vote um, because of Jim Crow. It's about the same today, simply with just the war on drugs. And it's just very hypocritical that we're choosing to punish people um, for what we would deem just immoral activity. We don't do the same thing for all the sugar and fast food that people are shoving down their throats. And that's actually going to kill them. Mm -hmm. Um, Cannabis has never killed anybody. So um, it's a big, it's, you know, the war on drugs is just a mask for taking people out of the democratic process and being able to legally discriminate. America has always thrived on that. That is how we started. And to, you know, take that away um, was huge. And now they've done it in such a way that it's not on the basis of race, even though majority of people locked up are of Mm -hmm. uh, a minority background, but now they can legally discriminate and they can't say it's just because you're black. 
or because you're brown. It's because you're a drug user. It's because you've done this. So it is a way for them to do what they love to do. And now that race is taken out of it, it's perfect. So um, the war on drugs is a, it's a, there wasn't a drug issue. 3% of Americans at the time when it started didn't believe there was a drug issue. Um, there was only 300,000 people in jail. We didn't think we were gonna need prisons in 15 years. And then all of a sudden, here's this war. Um, and Nixon has come out and said that you could, or his um, secretary said, you couldn't arrest people for being black or for being anti-war, but you could sure arrest them for weed. So yeah, it was just a ploy. That's crazy. It's also kind of like a new form of slavery. You know what I mean? Like you lock people up, you get free labor from these people, and then you spit them out and they can't find jobs. They don't have any right to vote. And then you're also kind of recreating a cycle of them feeling like they have to do something illegal in order to survive. So it's just like, it's fucked up. Yeah. In the form of business, it's brilliant. But when you stop and think about the human lives that are impacted, you're taking fathers away from their families. Like, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you blame these children. Well, it's because you had a fatherless home, but you're locking them up for nothing, for plants. Yeah. It's just wrong. Yeah, completely, completely wrong. How do you think, I mean, I think you kind of already touched on it with the reparations, which I think is a genius idea. You know, I do think that people who are locked up in prison should definitely for, you know, selling cannabis should be the first, they should be training them on how to get licensing and, you know, all the different loopholes that they've created now, if you want to do it legally, they need to be, they need to have first dibs. I definitely agree. And that could be a form of reparations. Mm -hmm. How else do you think that like, you know, people of color can be a part of what they're calling the green rush, which is just the spread and the legalization of, you know, cannabis in the United States in particular? Um, well, I think for black people and all people of color, you've got to think about what it is that you are good at. If you're a good storyteller, if you're a good researcher, if you're good at marketing, digital design, interior decorating, um, science, whatever it is that you're good at, transfer that skill into the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. I think so many people are like, ooh, let's get a dispensary and we're gonna make a lot of money, but you've got overhead, you've got insurance, you've got taxes, you've yes. got security, you've got so, much, so, so many costs. But if you just come in and you say, hey, I am really good at writing business plans or hey, I am really good at speaking, you can you know, figure out your niche and just take a risk on yourself. This is a brand new industry. It is in its infancy. So the rules are being written right now. There are no rules. You get to come in and you get to try, you get to fail, you get to try again, do whatever you need to do until you figure it out. Um, but that's definitely my advice for people. That's great. That's really good advice. Cause I feel like I, even me, I'm like, Oh, I want to get into Kansas. And I'm like, Oh no, I have to grow it. I have to figure this out. It's a lot of moving parts, but yeah, if I'm like, a historian or a speaker, or like you said, even interior design, finding ways to incorporate those type of things. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, let's, yeah. Let's yeah. Dispensaries need to be designed and decorated. So. I know, I know, right? And even also, I think about like, okay, what about putting different like CBD and paints and stuff? I think about the fumes that we inhale and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so many things. Yeah, so many things, so many options, which can also feel a little overwhelming but it's also time to really experiment. Um, yeah. So my other question is, this is another, this is a question from another like listener question that they sent to me. Uh, I know that you're a mom. Um, this might be good. You're saying if someone, 
question, but sorry. Um, so they were saying that they're curious, is like CBD or THC for pregnant women? And is it, or like, what's your thoughts on that? I know you're not a medical doctor, but like, what's your thoughts on CBD and THC for pregnant women or like breastfeeding? Well, my thoughts are if mom is in a position where she needs something, that is her choice. So I think about if a pregnant woman was to get into an accident and her doctor prescribed her Vicodin, I would say that if she said, I prefer to take THC, that that's her personal choice. Mm -hmm. And we do know that babies have an endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system is in the sperm. It's in the egg. It's in the placenta. It's in the amniotic fluid. It's in the baby. Um, so it's not something that's foreign, um, but I would just caution that if a woman needs, you know, just relief, because the depressed mom is no good to a baby, a child in utero. Mm -hmm. uh, so just take until, you know, I would say my recommendation is just until you have relief. I wouldn't say uh, smoke a blunt because smoking <laughs> is horrible when you're pregnant, but, you know, an edible, a tincture up until relief. Um, I would say, keep quiet about it. I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't tell a soul. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't post about it on any of those baby apps. Yeah. You're going to journal, write it on pen and paper, not your phone. Yeah. Um, CPS is real. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are states that will take your child if you test positive. Um, and for breastfeeding, same thing. If you're, treat it like drinking. If you're going to get high, wait until you're sober to feed that yeah. baby again. Mm -hmm. um, and CBD um, is actually really good postpartum we all get the baby blues because our hormones go from here at about day five they just whoosh wow. and that's where we start to feel the blues and cbd is really good at counteracting that that's great that's good to know i also yeah. you know i we talked about like edibles right and i know there's different ways of consuming um cannabis i'm more of a smoker personally you know edibles is like a different type of high for me but i don't even know if that's like fine. Yeah. i just be like <laughs> but it, also it is because like I'm from, you know, I I live in LA now, but in New York, when I would get edibles, it would be like I feel like when it's illegal, they're just trying to pack it with as much THC as possible. Yeah. And like it is too much. Like I don't want to have the experience. But I feel like now that I'm in LA and I've like tried different levels and THC, I haven't had that experience. But I guess I wanted you to tell us like what are the differences in terms of those two ways of consuming it, like eating, it, drinking it versus smoking. So smoking it, you're going to get your effects quick, 15 minutes. Um, the downside is you're inhaling smoke, which is probably not the best for your body. Um, and when you're done uh, getting high, you get to stop <laughs> getting high. The thing with edibles is you may be done, but they're not. <laughs> and <laughs> that's because when you eat um, THC, it has to go through your liver. And when it bypasses your liver, it's going to convert from THC to something called 11-hydroxy-THC, which is way more potent, way more intoxicating. Um, and one of the risks is overeating. So you should always start slow. Um, don't be one of those people who are like, man, this is weak, I'm gonna eat the rest. <laughs> and then it kicks in yeah. 20 minutes later. And now, you get, now you're about to be in trouble. So I always say, know your number. So start off with two and a half to five milligrams, start with five, wait two hours. If you didn't feel anything, try seven and a half to 10 next time. If you hit 10, you're like, wow, that was great. Cool. You can try 15. If that's too far, then you know, you can't do anything more than 15. And in California, luckily they're selling everything in five milligram increments to yeah. prevent 
um, overdosing. Although you'll feel like you're dying, you're not going to die. Um, my best advice is to stay at home. Do not go to the hospital. They're just going to let you take a nap and give you an IV. And it's going to be a very expensive nap. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've had some experience with people who had bad highs and they think they're going to die. And I'm like, no one's ever died from smoking weed. Not a single person. Which is great, which is beautiful about it. Mm -hmm. um, what are... I mean, I think people know, but what are some of the general benefits of, you know, the, the cannabis plant that people might not know about? Um, so it's really good for nausea. I mean, if you're nauseous and that's why it's so good for cancer patients, mm -hmm. um, it's really good for pain, anxiety, for sleep for appetite, for temperature control, blood, um, blood sugar levels. I mean, people with diabetes get benefits here. Um, it is good for PMS. It's good for migraines. It's good for glaucoma. <laughs> I mean, and there's so much that it can do. The system, the endocannabinoid system in our body regulates all other systems, mm -hmm. cardiovascular system, um, every single system in your body is regulated by this one system that needs help being regulated by external cannabinoids from the plant. So. Well, that's beautiful. That's good to yeah. know. You have to like, now I'm gonna be like looking up all this CBD stuff. <laughs> interview. Um, I saw you had some really cool videos about like the benefits of like mangoes and THC and don't be a THC digger, which I would love for you to talk about that as well. Um, Cause I, you know, we're going to talk about if people want to start smoking, what they should do. But my question is, do you know like one or two out of the box or lesser known, you know, cannabis benefits or facts or like how to ingest it? Kind of like these two topics and you can go into them if you want as, as you want or two. But what are some like out of the box, lesser known things that people can do or supplement their cannabis experience with? Um, yeah, so mango has terpenes in it. Everything that we eat has terpenes in it. Um, perfumes, soaps, that's what gives the scent. So you can read a label at home and you can see, oh, it says mercy, you know, it says linalool or limonene. And that's, those are the compounds that are in the plant. So um, you can add foods to your diet that are going to help theoretically with your high. Again, we're not researching any of this because it's illegal in the U.S., um, but there are other foods that it that talk to your endocannabinoid system. So olive oil is going to help increase your CB2 receptors. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then there's cannabinoids and other foods. So anandamide, that bliss molecule is also found in chocolate. Mm -hmm. um, black pepper um, has a cannabinoid in it, echinacea. So it's not just the plant, although they're most abundant in the plant, you can still supplement and add other foods to your CBD or whatever you're using to really get that full symbiotic effect. Ooh, that's really, really dope. So for anyone who is interested, maybe someone, they listen to this wonderful podcast episode with you, Tammy, and they're like, okay, like I'm going to be open to maybe trying some cannabis, maybe THC form, maybe CBD, what would you say, like, how would you tell someone, what advice would you give someone to start on this journey? And, you know, like looking at THC levels, but some people are like, I'll get the highest one. Like, what are some of your tips for a newbie? Okay. So for a newbie, I would say, um, ignore all of the labels that you see, ignore indica sativa hybrid. None of that matters. Um, 
what you're going to need to do is make it an intuitive experience. Smell it. When you smell food that smells bad, you know, that's probably going to make your stomach hurt and you're not going to go near it. So with cannabis, it's the same thing. Your nose knows. <laughs> it's clear shades the sound your nose no so smelling it looking at it um feeling it if you're in a state where you can touch it um that's the best way to go about it um thc percentage seems to be what a lot of these companies are marketing like oh this is 32 percent. this is testing at 33 percent, and that's cool and all but i've smoked some 15 percent thc that knocked my boots off because <laughs> it was grown outside and the sun can just make chemicals that a lamp an indoor lamp and indoor flower just can't so um, I would say make it an intuitive experience. Sure, check out the percentage levels, but at the end of the day, you need to find something that you like based on its smell and what it looks like. So I like things that smell really gassy. My body just gets happy. If it smells sweet, I know that I'm probably going to be lethargic and not feel the best. Yeah. So ignore the sativa indica labels. Sativa in Latin means cultivate and indica in Latin means India has nothing to do with the effects of the flower. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So, are, so, so are you saying indica and sativa are like, how would you explain those two different things? Um, they, so those are, those words describe how the plant grows. Typically people are like sativa gets you, gives you energy and indica makes you sleepy in the couch. And that's just not true. That's again, marketing um, in a way for underground growers to kind of categorize their plants. But um, you, there are people who smoke some sativas and get sleepy and smoke some indicas and have energy. It really is based on your body. There are people that can drink an energy drink and go to sleep. It is really just your own biology. So um, sativas, for most people say they get energy and Indicas, I feel like if you smoke them at night, of course, you're going to be tired regardless. So try testing it out. You know, if you get a lot of anxieties like I do, an indica during the day, it's going to bring it down. And I feel great. Um, so, you know, if you go into a store and they're saying indica or sativa, just kind of say, hey, I'm more worried about the terpenes. And then your butt tender is, you know, because they get tired. They're like, this is 33%. This is sativa. <laughs> you know, they know that this is how the market is running. But if you actually stop and talk to that person and see how educated they are and say, hey, I, I don't care about any of those labels. I'm looking for stress relief. I'm looking for pain relief. They should be able to help you. Okay. Yeah. I'm like one of those people. I'm like, oh, I only smoke sativas. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It depends on what I have at that time. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for someone who's interested in entering? I mean, I think you kind of answered this earlier, but if someone's interested in kind of being maybe like a cannabis influencer or educator to some degree, how would you suggest that they get started, um, you know, nowadays, especially if they, they might be in a state that is still illegal? Yeah. So how I got started was I started a chapter um, that was a, a larger national organization that their whole point is starting educational networking uh, meetings. And that's something that can be done without a national name. You can do that on your own in your own community and just start there little by little networking with real people in the industry, um, inviting, you know, people who are helping write the legislation or people that are out there getting the petition signed um, and creating that network there. And then just as far as influencer and stuff goes, just doing it. And um, as scary it is, as it is to put out content, 
getting as much practice as you can, because at some point somebody is going to see you, mm -hmm. um, what, whether it's in your community or a bigger platform, and it's all going to pay off. And there's not enough um, talking heads out there as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. um, so educating yourself is immensely important. Be more than just a cannabis user. Um, be able to talk about why it's beneficial. Be able to talk about the history and why people think about it the way that they do. Um, and I actually, you know, have a book club where I'm hoping that, you know, out of this book club, it produces more advocates for areas that need it. Mm, yeah, book club sounds great. So before we get into the last two, like signature, we have like a game and the signature question. But before we get into that, I want to just kind of let you kind of, you know, plug yourself, tell people where they can find you, sign up for your course, sign up for your book club that you just mentioned. Like, what else can they know about your the Cannabis Cutie. Well, I um, do have an Instagram at the Cannabis Cutie. The word the is very important. Um, and then you can check out my website, www.thecannabiscutie.com. That is where you can find, there's a courses tab and it'll link you straight to my Cannabis 101 course, as well as my higher learning book club that is set to kick off October 24th. Um, there you can also find my blog and old videos that will take you to my YouTube page. So those are the best ways to see what I'm doing and learn more, my website and my Instagram. Yes, and you should definitely check out all those things. So this or that is just our like signature kind of, I just asked you three things, like kind of have to choose one of the two and it's all related to things that we talked about today. Okay. It's like kind of supposed to be rapid fire, but you know, I'm not gonna time you or anything. Got it. <laughs> Sativa or indica? Indica. Rolling up or hitting a bomb? Rolling up. CBD or THC? THC. Okay, so that was, that was pretty easy, pretty painless. Yeah. <laughs> and my signature question is, if you got an opportunity to write a chapter in a textbook on cannabis, what would you call your chapter and why? I would call it the great lie. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. We used racism, xenophobia, and we used it um, basically to fill other people's pockets and egos. And we have all of these issues now that we can't seem to deal with, but these this plant is giving us a hint um, and we got away from it. So oh, I would write a book about how we have to take back our health and wellness and stop being customers for these large companies who are banking on us being sick mm -hmm. and heal ourselves through plants, including the cannabis plant. Wow, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. We definitely need to Off the dome. <laughs> what a great way to end this interview. Thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciate your time today. And I can't wait until I get to hear this. Yeah, me too. This is fun. Thank you so much for having me, Toya. And that is the conclusion of episode 10 on the history of cannabis, the big green lie. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Remember, this episode includes a giveaway. So if you're interested in winning one of the two stash bags by the Black-owned brand Little John NYC, go over to That Wasn't In Our Textbook podcast instagram page like the photo and tell me one thing you learned from this episode and you could be randomly selected to get a bag over there on our ig we will also be featuring the episodes non-quiz quiz to go over everything you learned today 
No, they're not graded because we don't do grades over here, but they're just fun. You can always find the non-quiz quizzes on our website and under our highlights on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed this episode, could you do me a favor? Could you tell a friend? Tell them to take a listen. That would be so kind. And if you haven't already, please leave a review. Reviews help us rank, get new listeners, and maybe even help us get a sponsor or two. You know, get some people to cut us a check. You feel me? If you want to take a deeper dive on the history of cannabis, check the show notes on our website at thatwasn'tinmytextbook.com. You will also find links to all of our guests, including our guest today, Tammy. You can find her IG, her website, so you can support her, sign up for her course, or join her book club. Lastly, make sure you come back on Friday, November 6th for our very special well-read Black Girl festival podcast it's going to be live on our ig page and i will be talking about the black suffrage movement with avette dion author of lift as we climb the black woman's battle for the ballot box we will be coming off the heels of the election and i figure there might be a lot of things going on we might still be counting ballots we might be super excited about who the president is we might be super disappointed some of us might be packing up and getting new citizenships either way it will be a very interesting conversation that matches with the time thanks again for watching talk to you on friday november 6th and until then remember knowledge is power